With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Hockey News Podcast. It's Matt Larkin here with Ken Campbell and Ryan Kennedy, who I'm apparently introducing on a game show. Uh, matches my hair, I guess. Uh, we have a bunch of stuff to talk about, but as we were planning this, we got some breaking news. Peter Laviolette has been hired as the coach of the Washington Capitals, so we have to start with that. So just give me your immediate reaction. We'll start with you, Kenny. Do you like the hire? I feel like this is a pretty good hire, and I feel like it's almost like where they have to be in the cycle of coaches in Washington right now. You know, they, they had Barry Trotz, and, and you know, I mean, they, they couldn't hang on to him, so they went to Todd Reardon, who was a real sort of players kind of guy, a real sort of congenial kind of, um, you know, not, not one of those hard-ass guys. And now you've got to go to Peter Laviolette. Uh, because I think in Washington, what's happened is the pendulums kind of swung the other way. And I, I just get the feeling and, and I, I, there's nothing like, I, I don't have any evidence of this, but I just get the feeling that they're pretty content in Washington, you know, like they won their cup. Like I, I didn't think it was going to be this way. I thought that cup was going to, was going to inspire them to want to win more and to, to really go after it. But I just feel like in Washington, those guys are, they figure, you know, our job's done. We've won the cup. Uh, you know, we fulfilled the promise that everybody, you know, that we, we showed. And now we can just kind of cruise. And I think Peter Laviolette will come in and upset that apple cart in a big way. Um, I think he, you know, he has no sort of, he's not a former assistant who knows these guys and has any sort of affiliation to them. He comes in clean. And I think, you know, I think that's the kind of coach this team needs right now. And if you look at Washington right now, they're, they're still in their window, but that window is going to change fairly soon. Um, you know, we, we already, you know, Braden Holtby might be gone this summer. He'll probably be gone. And the Elias Samsonov era begins in net in earnest. But you have those veteran guys that you're still paying big bucks to. And I feel with Laviolette, you still have a chance to go for a cup certainly next season. And then, you know, from there on, you see how the older guys, um, you know, fare. you know, I mean, Ovechkin, he's clearly still scoring goals, no problems there. And, you know, you, you do have guys like Backstrom and Kuznetsov down the middle. So with Laviolette, you're, you're getting back to your window, I feel. And, you know, how long this lasts is going to be hard to say because eventually, you know, like Pittsburgh, Washington is going to face that reckoning where, they can't rely on Ovechkin anymore. And that's when you're going to have to start building up again, getting more young guys into the system, you know, your Connor McMichaels, your Brett Leesons. And that I feel will be the interesting time for a coach like Laviolette is, you know, is he your guy for the next, you know, seven or eight years, or is he your guy for the next three or four years? For sure. And I think he's kind of the perfect band-aid 
And I don't mean that as, as, a, as an insult to him. I mean, he's the perfect short-term veteran coach for a team that has a, probably a couple years left in his window. And I, I do think he's a fit that could do some damage because you can make a case. This is the most talented group, especially offensively, that Peter Laviolette has ever had in front of him. And, you know, his, his history, you know, he had the New York Islanders team whose star player was Mike Pekka in the early 2000s. You know, Adrian Acoin on defense, Kenny Johnson, guys like that. And he had the Carolina Hurricanes, who, of course, had young Eric Stahl, but were, again, kind of a ragtag group of veterans like Corey Stillman and kind of, you know, an aging Rod Brindamore, and they came together like a perfect team. But, again, not a superstar outfit. Nashville, of course, same thing. They were a plucky team that didn't have a superstar, and he still became the first coach ever to take a 16 seed to all the way to the Stanley Cup final. And Nashville over that time had the sixth best point percentage in the NHL with Laviolette as coach. And if you look, he's had 13 full seasons in the NHL, Peter Laviolette. Uh, 10 times he's had a team that's top 10 in shots on goal. 12 times he's had an offense in the top half of the league. And four times top five in offense. So he's managed to squeeze offense out of teams. And of course, the Philadelphia Flyers as well, that didn't always have superstars. I think the closest team makeup wise would be the Philly team that he coached about 10 years ago. Uh, but I-, I could see him squeezing something special out of this group and maybe the best offensive team he's ever had to work with. So I really like the fit. And it's just, you know, I don't, I don't think that Washington had to, had to galaxy brain this higher. Just bringing your veteran, a guy that can give a spark to a team that probably only has one spark left in it before, like you said, Ryan, it starts to go closer to the cliff like Pittsburgh is doing and like Chicago did a couple of years ago. Um, switching over to the team that's just advanced to the Stanley Cup final, I, I'm shocked, and I tweeted this yesterday. Tyler Sagan has two goals in 20 games in the playoffs, and Dallas Stars are still Stanley Cup finalists. I don't understand... So I'm curious what you guys think. Is this a story of the deserving team making it all the way? Is it kind of just a magical fluke? How did Dallas get here? Do you believe they are the deserving Western Conference rep in the Stanley Cup final? We will start with Ryan on this one. I do believe it because I called it. Go to the videotape, Steven. Yes. They were my dark horse all along. And, you know, I, I did a big story on Tyler Sagan um, you know, before the, the playoffs. And, you know, what I found interesting is, you know, that story was all about the change that, that he has made to his game in the past couple of years, you know, sacrificing points in order to be a better two-way player. And yeah, you know, you, you'd love to have more than two goals, but, you know, what I'm seeing, and we saw it right up until the game last night, is when he's on the ice, you know, Radulov and Jamie Ben, they're the ones getting the goals. They're the first two in the zone because Sagan has bought into that five-man unit defense, and he's making sure that the puck is actually out going in the right direction. He's he's picking up his responsibilities, and it's working for Dallas. You know, it's it's very interesting that you know they became a defensive squad, and during the season, it was very difficult for them to score goals. And you know that was sort of the Achilles' heel that a lot of us saw, but. I mean, these are guys that do know how to score goals. Like we've seen Jamie Ben light it up. We know Alexander Radulov can put the puck in the net. So it was, it felt like it was really just a matter of time. And when they needed goals against Calgary or Colorado, the goals were there. And when they needed to lock down Vegas, they locked down Vegas. And I mean, the big X factor, of course, has been Anton Hudobin in net. I, I don't think any of us would have said, yeah, no Ben Bishop and you're going to the Stanley Cup final, but that's just, you know, that's kind of the fun of playoff hockey is guys step up and have runs. And I mean, goalies can get hot for 
a month or two. And I think that's what we're, we're seeing with Hudobin is he's giving them exactly what they need. I think in the playoffs, there's a, there's, there's always this, this sort of cliche and it's, and it's a cliche partly because it's true. And that is that everything has to go right at the same time in the playoffs. Like it has to be this confluence of everything going right. And I, and I feel like that's what this is with the Dallas stars. I feel like, the, the, the two, there's two things that are largely responsible for the Dallas Stars being in the Stanley Cup final. Number one was Colorado Avalanche's goaltending, and number two was Thatcher Demko. I, I really do. I think I think that in that series against Colorado, they scored so many goals and they got so confident about themselves that they felt like you know, hey, we we actually can score even though it's against subpar goaltending. And I think on the other side, and Pete DeBoer actually said it last night after. Uh, Vegas was knocked out that, that the trouble they had at scoring against Thatcher Demko at the end of the Vancouver series had a carryover effect into the next series and they their confidence was kind of affected here but I I really do feel like this is a big confluence of a team that's just doing getting every break and and just you know making their own breaks getting the kind of goaltending you need and and, and I I'm I'm not convinced that they're that that this is going to be sustainable in the long run, nor do I think um, that, and I think it's, I think it's going to be Tampa. I'm, I'm fairly confident that it's going to be Tampa in the Stanley cup final. I, I don't know that they can stand up to an offense like that. And I do think, you know, with the average age of, of the stars, especially at forward, this could be a weird run where it's like, you know, they make the cup final or win the cup and then they miss the playoffs next year, mm-hmm. something bizarre like that. Uh, so, because it does have that kind of lightning in a bottle feeling, especially Anton Godoman, he's a UFA. So he might not even be back. And then Ben Bishop, there's questions about his health. So it kind of feels like this is Dallas's chance to shoot its shot. And I do think that you're going to need to see Sagan step it up more in the final. I, I, I still think he's playing through something. We know that he missed some time in the round robin, right? He, I think he missed a game or two. And I think it's going to be one of those things that, you know, when the season ends, like, like the next day, be like Tyler Sagan had his leg amputated and, and like, <laughs> he was playing with, you know, whatever, something like that. But I do agree, Ryan, you know, he has changed. And I remember Sagan told me this two summers ago when Ken Hitchcock came back for that one year and, you know, he, they didn't make the playoffs, but it was still a valuable year. And he sort of instilled in Sagan and Sagan explained to me, the, it was kind of like the Mike Medano thing where he helped change Mike Medano when Dallas won in 99. And he kind of, baked in the same mentality to Sagan believing you're my best player you, you should play in all situations and I remember Sagan really appreciated that and that was a really crucial year that kind of changed his career made him more of a, a complete player so the good news is now because he is a more complete player he can still be helpful to the team when he's not scoring um, but I, I do think Kadobin and like you said Ken I think it ties to Demko he was in he was in Vegas's head as well Kadobin and Sagan said after the series that Kadobin's style is reminiscent of Tim Thomas in the 2011 Bruins run. And I see it. He's just, he looks strange in the net. He kind of moves differently than your average goalie. He's so aggressive. He challenges shooters. And it's like, he just, a team that already had some confidence issues being thrown off. And I think you, you see in the, in, even in the analytics, like yes, Vegas outplayed Dallas, but not really so much in high danger chances. They were pretty close at five and five. So Vegas was not getting enough traffic. They couldn't solve how to just get inside Kadovin's head. It never, the advantage never shifted over to the other side. So uh, it was kind of the perfect storm for a team that of course, you know, they always had the de- the defense core. That was never a question, but the other pieces have come together. And I think, you know, for all the talk of, of Sagan struggling to score, Jamie Ben, I didn't know he had this in him. I didn't know he had this resurgence in him, but 
it came at a perfect time. Um, so let's talk a bit more about Vegas. You know, this is a team that analytically they, they were just the most dominant team in the playoffs. They were one of the best teams in the regular season. They looked like a cup finalist all the way. I know that they were our consensus magazine Stanley cup finalist pick from for the West at the beginning of the season and before the playoffs. So what do you think is missing? Is, is Vegas still right there? Is there a piece that they need? Did they get unlucky? Kenny, you can start this one. Well, you know, I mean, Tyler Sagan said it, speaking of Tyler Sagan, he said, what, what does this tell you about, about your team or something? And he said that analytics are overrated. And, and, and I mean, I'm not going to get into a war with these people, <laughs> but I mean, there is an element of truth to that. I mean, you know, like for as many shots as Vegas was getting and for as much as they were possessing the puck, I don't know. For me, guys, I don't know about you guys, but when I was watching the games, the eye test for me was like, this is not, the ice is not tilted here. You know, it's not like this team is dominating. And, you know, I mean, I, I, I and I thought, I thought, you know, and you, you brought it up too, Matt, and it, it's absolutely true. Um, Dallas just simply, or sorry, Vegas just simply did not get enough traffic until game five. I thought in game five, they really changed and they really started going hard to the net. But, you know, Rick Bonus said it after two. He said a lot of people are counting shots. We're calling, counting quality chances. And they were pretty even. So, um, you know, I mean, I, I guess in that respect, you know, and then, and then there's the goaltending. I mean, um, I don't think it was – I don't think it was – like, I don't think Vegas was, was – um, you know, I don't, I don't think that was their Achilles heel. But they got out goaltended. Um, I mean, it's pretty tough, tough not to get out goaltended when, when Anton Kudobin plays the way he does. As far as Vegas uh, moving forward, yeah, I absolutely think this team, I think this team is going to be sort of the next one to, you know, to be the first uh, new Stanley Cup winner. I, I really do. I, this, team is, this team, I look at it like I looked at Washington and I looked at Tampa Bay. Uh, they're, they're, they're missing some stuff, but they're too good. They're too good to not win at some point. And, and I, think they, I think they will. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't do anything rash if I were the Golden Knights. And, you know, something to consider is this is a team that, you know, because they're an expansion team, they by and large haven't been able to dip into their prospect pool very much yet. And that's going to change as soon as next year. You're going to see more Cody Glass. You're going to see more Nick Haig. And, you know, you're going to see, I mean, Shea Theodore is not a prospect, obviously. He but he, he's a great young defenseman and he might be a Norris trophy finalist or even winner next year. We are seeing the beginning of the Shea Theodore era. Um, and I think that's very exciting for Vegas because obviously they already have a great cast, um, both up front and on defense. You know, if they re-sign Robin Lehner, obviously there's going to be some politics to work out there and there's going to be some, some cap concerns, uh, you know, there'll, probably have to move on from Marc-Andre Fleury just based on the amount of money that both will make. But they're in a great situation where they have too many assets right now. And, you know, goaltending is at a premium in the NHL. So I'm sure they could find a spot for Fleury if need be. So, yeah, for me, I think Vegas is going to be, you know, the class of the West for the coming years. And I agree with Ken, they're going to be right in the mix every year. 
I, I, I sort of agree. I, I think Colorado is going to have something to say about that. And I think Colorado is much better positioned to improve because they have so much cap space. They have some mega prospects coming, you know, Bowen Byram, Alex Newhook, the list goes on and on. So I, it's scary that Colorado could be significantly upgraded from what it already has right now when it comes to next year, whereas Vegas is in not as good of a position to make major changes at the moment. I think it's really important for Cody Glass to take the next step. Because to me, I actually do see one area where Vegas is behind a lot of the other contenders and they don't have the powerhouse go-to center. You don't have, they don't have the Braden Point, the Nathan McKinnon, the right. Sean Couturier. They don't have that guy they can rely on, you know, and offensively or defensively, but especially offensively in Vegas's case. Uh, you know, if you look at William Carlson and Paul Stastny, Carlson was their leading scorer among centers in the playoffs. He had 10 points in 19 games. That's not good enough for a Stanley Cup champion, I don't think. You need that really dominant presence up the middle. I know, I mean, Dallas, it's been strange as well, but they do have Tyler Sagan. I think over a longer sample size, he's still trusted as a star. Uh, but I, I think, I don't know how Vegas is going to find it. You have one more year of Paul Stasny at, I think, six and a half million dollars. So I don't know if the money's going to be there. Maybe you do have to kind of cross your fingers and hope that Cody Glass is ready to take the next step because we know he has the the specs and I know I remember Ken you writing about him I believe it was Mark Shifley that he was compared to coming up mm -hmm. uh, and so he's got the tools especially as a passer to be that puck distributor make others around him better number one guy but you can't also bank on that the good thing is it's already a really good team so they, they don't have to really force the issue but I don't know I still think if I'm making a prediction right now on the spot I think Colorado has the edge next year but we'll see we'll see what happens with the offseason changes improvements maybe I'm wrong but yeah, I don't know. I, I think Vegas, they, they need that piece. Um, Alex Petrangelo gave an interesting interview this week. And it really stood out to me because when you're a big ticket UFA, it's not very common in my mind to sort of be as frank as he was in this interview he gave with Pierre Lebrun. And he was sort of just being pretty open with his feelings. And often you see the prize UFAs, they kind of lock it down and don't say much when free agency is only weeks away, which it is. But he expressed his disappointment uh, that he didn't have a contract yet. And he, some of the language he used, you know, he was referring to Stamkos and he was sort of saying, you know, you never know, I might come back, almost implying like returning to St. Louis is the long shot. And I'm not sure if it's posturing, but I want to know what you guys think. Do you believe that there's a real chance that Pietrangelo will not resign in St. Louis? We'll start with Ryan. I think that's certainly on the table. And this is a very difficult free agent season, as we know, because the cap did not go up as expected, you know, uh, and it's, it's not going to go up next year either. So you can't simply go to market and say, what's the highest bid. I think this is really going to be a decision for Petrangelo and his uh, team, like his agents to say, okay, what's the best fit right now? And what do I want? You know, Petrangelo does have a Stanley cup ring, obviously from St. Louis. So he's not seeking a championship, but I'm sure you know, like every NHLer, he's going to try to win as many cups as possible. So does he go to a team that he sees is on the rise? Does he go to a team that is already right there and, you know, would just love to have a number one center to add to whatever they already have? And the other question, of course, is how much money does he want? How much term does he want? You know, this is a player that has already made a lot of money in the NHL, but because of his standing right now, he can also command, you know, pretty much a King's ransom. So it's, it's going to be difficult because obviously St. Louis has a lot of contracts on the book already. And it is the only franchise 
he's played for in the NHL. But I think this is definitely a situation where he doesn't have to sign right on day one. He should see what's out there, what's the best fit for him, and what makes the most sense for him career-wise right now. Yeah, I, I think this is actually 100% posturing, in my opinion. Um, you know, I, I, I and that's not to say that he's going to sign, resign in St. Louis, because I think anything can happen. But there are three factors in in Pietrangelo that that make it very, in my in my opinion, very likely that he will resign in St. Louis. Number one, he wants to be there. Number two, his wife wants to be there. And number three, the St. Louis Blues want him to be there. And so to me, I, and, and it's funny that you did bring up Steven Stamkos because I was going to use that as a comparison. I, I, I could very much see Alex Pietrangelo going out, you know, looking around, sort of kicking tires with teams and then saying, no, I think, I think I've got the best, the best thing here and, I, and I'm going to stay here. I, I, I fully expect him to resign in St. Louis. Um, because like I said, I, I just, there's too much pull going one way. Like, he, like I said, he wants to be there. His wife's from there. He's had his family there. He's entrenched in the community. He's the captain. They want him back. I, I, I really find it hard to believe that this, they're not going to find a way to make this work. And I, and I think, I, I really do think that was a 100% posturing and we've heard guys say that stuff before and end up resigning. So, I mean, it's a negotiation right now. And, and I personally think he's going to land back in St. Louis. Yeah, I do too. And, and to me, it stood out because the interview was given so late in the process. You, you do have, you know, you hear guys who are pending UFAs, they might speak at the halfway point of the season at the all-star game, something like that. But to me, the, you know, there's nothing to gain from other suitors by speaking about this stuff. It's, to me, it's putting a scare in the blues, implying that he might go, because it's not like he needs to attract suitors. Like that's, they're, they're going to they're gonna try and get him anyways. But if the blues see he's speaking like this, I think it puts a little bit of a scare in them. And I see this posturing as well. And of course, he's got the triplets. He just had, he and his wife just had another baby as well, I believe. Uh, so their family's at four. She's from the area. I'd be shocked. The only thing that gives me pause at all is John Tavares. I was completely convinced that Tavares was going to return to the Islanders. Then again, I think on a personal level, it seems to be a difference this time because Pietrangelo, his, his, his wife is from the St. Louis area, right? That's where he met her. So um, I, I don't see it happening. You never know, but I, I agree with Ken. I, I think I, I'm, I'm team posture on this one as well. It'll be, it'll be interesting too, I, I think, because now we don't have the uh, free agent courting period anymore, right? So I wonder how that changes the complexion of everything. You know, and you were saying, Ryan, that he can afford to wait. Well, now he probably will because, you know, the offers don't come in until July, or not July 1st, whatever, October 9th or whatever free agency yeah. day is. And there is no, there is no courting period beforehand. So that's right. And, and I remember speaking to, it was agent Alan Walsh, and he was saying that on the agent and player side, the courting period going away is great news for them yeah. because it's way more likely to create urgency and panic and just sort of the, the feeding frenzy. So that'll be very interesting. I don't know if that'll offset the fact that, of course, flat cap could change things too, but we'll see. Um, so we know now the Calgary Flames, they're bringing back Jeff Ward full-time as their coach next year. They had a winning record. I think it was something like 25 and 15, give or take. It was a good, a good record under him. He, they improved once he took over. Of course, they made the play in tournament and they won a series. Uh, so it's not a huge surprise to see him brought back. But I, I find it interesting because he could be coming back to a team that I think might look very different just based on just with the whispers and the fact that Calgary has some crucial UFAs, of course, on defense, TJ Brody, Travis Hamannick among them. So 
Kenny, what do you think? Do, do you think that Jeff Ward will be coming back to a drastically different team next year? Well, he better. He better be. Because this is a team that I think is stuck. I mean, they're, good. they're, they're, they're in that mushy middle, you know? Like, like, I think we all think they're really good and they have, some, they have some really good talent. They have, you know, they have a lot of parts in place. But I don't, I, I don't know. I, I don't know about you guys, but I don't look at the Calgary Flames and go, whoa, that's a team that's really going to, they're going to they're gonna put together a long playoff run. I, I don't see a team that has what it takes to do that. So, I mean, if, if you're signing, re-signing Jeff Ward, that's a, that's a good thing. I mean, obviously, they, they played very well for him. Uh, they seem to like him. They seem to respond to him. So that's a good thing. But, I mean, if that's your big transaction in the offseason, I think you're still kind of spinning your wheels. I think you need some better, more consistent, stable, solid goaltending. And that core, I think, that, that is a core to me that is begging for some kind of shakeup. There's got to be a Godreau or Monaghan move here. That's, I, I, I just feel like it, that's a group that needs something like that in order to sort of get the kick in the pants that it needs to get moving. Yeah. And I, I will say that, you know, the flames we saw in the playoffs were not the complete flames. You know, Matthew Kachuk got hurt. Yusuf Alamaki was already hurt. And, you know, that's a first rounder for your defense score, a kid that is still finding his way, but has a ton of talent. I really liked what I saw from Rasmus Anderson. I think he's going to be a bigger contributor next season than he was even this year. But I, I totally agree. I think, you know, in net, they need somebody else. Uh, I, I'd like to see them go after Jacob Markstrom. I think that, you know, Vancouver obviously is going to try to keep Markstrom, but if they can't, then I think Calgary would be a fantastic landing spot for him. And, and that's the level of talent I think the Flames need in net. You know, obviously Braden Holtby is going to be out there as well, but I think that's really dicey at this point. Yeah, I mean, I think Holtby, you know, yeah, he's, he's the veteran that can mentor the youngster at this point. Uh, maybe he goes to Vancouver and you give Thatcher Demko all the starts and, and Holtby is, he's, he's entering his Brian Elliott years, as I like to say. But, you know, I, I, oh, and, and they didn't have Travis Hamannick in the playoffs as well. So I think it was a bit of an incomplete picture. Um, I, I do agree that they need some parts. I guess I wouldn't be incredibly disappointed if they didn't move out any big names. I, I just think they do need to add. And, you know, like, is Johnny Gaudreau, like, is he washed? I doubt it. I, I think, you know, he needs to maybe uh, – figure out his game a little bit and get back on track. But this was a weird season. Let's face it. I mean, this was weird. There, there could be many reasons why Goudreau and Monaghan uh, were not up to par. And I mean, they're not old guys. You know, these, these are guys that are still in their 20s and, you know, could certainly turn things around on a, on a dime. So I think it's, it's, it's not a complete picture in Calgary, but I, I do agree that, you know, Jeff Ward was the right call. Um, and I, I also think that having to fire or having to accept the resignation of Bill Peters really threw them for a loop because, you know, they had Ray Edwards, who was in player personnel, have to come in and do double duty as an assistant coach. So they were shorthanded in terms of, uh, you know, personnel. And then, of course, you know, they had the roster influx as well. So to be able to reset in this offseason, I think will be. Uh, very helpful for Calgary. 
very good points. Um, before I'd give my stance on Calgary, I, I, I want to do some, some uh, Braden Holtby defense. Guess how old Braden Holtby is. Don't look and just guess his age right now. 30. Mm-hmm. Ken? Really? I would have said 32. Okay, Ken, and guess how old Jacob Markstrom is. 30. He's 30 for sure. Yeah. Yes, yeah. They, are all, they are both 30. So it's right. interesting to me that, you know, there's a perception, and I've been guilty of it too, that Holtby's washed. Uh, but he's in goalie years 30. He's not like, that's pretty young for a goaltender, right? But it, it's, there are goalies that are still doing great work in their mid thirties. Uh, so I, I do think, I, I, I agree that Holpe's game has really declined, but I do think in the right situation, if he got the right goalie coach and just, he turned his game around, I think there's actually lots of time for him to get his career back on track. And I've been, I mean, I've been calling it for, I think literally a year now, Holpe to the flames. Um, Lloyd Minster is his hometown. Uh, so I, I still think that could happen, but big picture, the thing is for me, for me with the flames, they need too many pieces. They're losing parts of their blue line. Uh, and I agree that, you know, we need that, you need that shakeup, whether it's, whether it's Johnny Gaudreau or Sean Monaghan, they need a goaltender. Their prospect pool is not very deep right now, especially at forward. They don't have the pieces. I think the real, the, the ultimate solution for Calgary should be to, I think, rebuild, but the problem is when you have a GM who's at the end of his, his possibly at the end of his life cycle, so running out of years to get something done, Brad for living, if he announces a rebuild or starts a rebuild, he's basically admitting his own failure to get it done. And then it's almost like setting himself up to be fired. So I don't think Calgary's going to rebuild until or unless they move on from Brad for living. As long as he's there, I think it's still pedal to the metal and they're, you know, he's being given the green light to try and fix this. Uh, I still don't think it can be done. I just don't think Calgary has the pieces. And if you're moving, you know, if you're, if you're bringing in someone significant to help, you're going to be moving out a piece to make it fit under the cap and you're not going to be strong enough. So I don't know. I, I, I do think the Flames will make some moves. So it'll be a different, different group next year. But I, don't, I think this is a team that should consider, you know, trading Johnny Gaudreau for picks and prospects, something like that kind of moving on. But I, I know you don't really do move like that in the summer. So maybe it's something that happens mid-season if Calgary's out of a playoff spot. We'll see. Uh, let's do some, some listener slash viewer slash reader mailbag. First question is from Jeremy McCain. And Jeremy says, with a flat cap, do you think the amount of goalies going to free agency will bring down the asking price? I, I think yes and no. I, I don't think for the, the marquee goaltenders, because the demand is still going to be really high for someone like Robin Lehner. I don't think it's going to be a discounted contract. I still think somebody's going to pay, you know, hope he's not going to get the Bobrovsky contract from a year ago, but I still think he's going to get at least a medium, medium term deal, maybe Jacob Markstrom as well. So I don't see them being discounted, but those murky middle guys like Cam Talbot, maybe Kadobin, I think those guys might have to take a slight discount. Then again, I feel like they're always discounted. So I don't know, maybe my answer is just nothing. <laughs> maybe I didn't even <laughs> provide any insight at all. Uh, over to you, Ryan. It's going to be very interesting because so many teams, I feel, need goaltenders, but it's also very difficult to, to find that guy these years. We've seen so much inconsistency in the netminders uh, that we have in the NHL right now. So I think, I, I agree, at the high end, I think those guys are going to get paid. And, you know, some of them probably will get overpaid. And then you're going to go down to that next tier and, and the tier below that, and you're going to have guys that, that simply need to uh, fill spaces, you know, like Jimmy Howard's going to find work somewhere. Um, you know, Corey Crawford's a UFA. You, you, you have a sort of a mixed bag of veterans who have value, but at the same time, because of that flat cap, you're going to say to them, like, look, we only have 2 million, 3 million for you. 
you know, if you want to, you know, get on the carousel and, and, and get a horse before somebody else, then, you know, we're your option and we can give you kind of 25, 35 starts depending on different factors. But I, I think there's going to be a lot of movement in the goalie market, but only the high end are really going to be able to command the prices they want. Yeah. And I, and I think part of it too, is, is, you know, it goes, it, it go, it's going to go according to need too, right? Like, I mean, the Montreal Canadiens clearly are not reticent about spending a lot of money on goaltending. They're going to be spending almost $15 million in cap space on goaltending next year. But, they, but that's a worthy spend for them because A, they have cap space and B, clearly they want someone to spell off Carey Price, um, you know, during the regular season. So he's more fresh for the playoffs if they make it. Um, so, yeah, so I think, I think it, it goes, it's more of a case by case thing. And uh, I think the teams that have identified goaltending as a, as a real sort of sore spot, I, you know, I, I mean, it's, it's still the most, you know, you could argue it's still the most important position on the team. You know, I mean, you really could. So why would, if, you know, if you have a void there, why would you not, you know, go out and address it and do whatever it takes, but the tri trickle effect will be felt, you know, in, in other areas, right. You, there's, there's only so much money in the system. And it's not getting any bigger. It's not growing. It's not going to grow next year. And it probably won't grow, grow the year after that. And maybe the year after that. Um, so that's going to have a trickle effect somewhere. But I, I really think that if you've identified goaltending as a, as a, as a, as a need and something that you really need to address, I, I, I really don't think you're going to, you're going to, you know, sort of let the, let the vagaries of the salary cap dictate, you know, what you're going to do. Good points. And it's weird. It's a weird catch 22. I feel like Kadobin stands for all of it. So I agree. It's like goaltending is the most important position, but then the very fact that Kadobin exists also shows that it can be found anywhere. It's like this exactly. weird snake eating its tail. It's like, it's the most important, but you can also just like grab a random guy off the street and put him in net and his name is David Ayers. And it literally happens. I'm not even, I'm not even using a metaphor. It happened. You know? <laughs> so I, uh, it makes my brain explode. Uh, Next question is for Beach from Beach Life for me. All right, Beach Life for me. Uh, will the Bruins pony up with the money to re-sign Tory Krug, and should Zdeno Char retire? So a two-point question. I, I'll, I'll tackle Char first. I don't think he should because the Bruins. You know, people are worrying that the window is closing, but they they still won the President's Trophy this year. They're still a good team. So I think I think you give it one more full season shot if you have it in you. If you're, if you're Zdeno Char, as for Krug, you know they've got about 14 million, a bit more than $14 million in cap space. They have to figure out Jacob DeBrusque's, uh, Jacob, why Jacob? Jake DeBrusque's contract. But I still think there is room for Krug. You know, it would mean you can't really make out other improvements. So I wonder if you have to find a way to trade maybe David Krejci or something. But I get the impression that, that at least the way Krug talks, it seems like he's gone. But I think it's a mistake. I think he's an important player. I think he's an important puck mover. He's one of the best puck movers of the last five years, I think, in the NHL, five, ten years almost. And I think he plays with a bit of an edge for a little guy, too. So I think he's an important part of the team. I think they'll regret losing him, even though it'll, it'll cost a lot to keep him. So I think they got to try, but I, I'm sticking with my prediction that he's going to be a Detroit Red Wing. Kenny, what do you think? Well, I, you know, I mean, are they going to pony up the money? They, they may very well pony up the money, but I'm not even – you know what? I'm not even sure it comes down to money at this point. Um, I think Tory Krug looks at the Boston Bruins and says, well, I've been to the final twice with this team and I've lost both times. 
Um, you know, uh, this team's window is closing. There's absolutely no question about that. Uh, and I, I just feel like Tory Krug, the way, like his, his words and his body language and everything, just to me, I get the sense he wants a change. You know, and, and I'm not even sure it's going to come down to money. I think it may come down to, you know, where do I have an opportunity to, to go to a team that's going this way rather than a team that's going this way, you know? And, and so I don't, I don't think he's going to be back. I mean, I, I personally think that if he was going to be back, it would have been done by now. Like they'd know. Tory Krug would know. The Boston Bruins would know. We've known what the salary cap's going to be for a while now. We've known that it's going to be flat for a while now. I, I just feel like if it was going to happen, it would be done now. And the fact that it's not done now, I think speaks volumes. Yeah. And I think that the, I agree with Ken, the writing's kind of on the wall where it just feels like these two entities aren't meant for each other right now. Like if you think about the Boston Bruins uh, and, and I will say, I do think Zdeno Chara will be back. I think he'll do the one contract thing until he decides it's time to, to hang him up. And, you know, the money, it basically doesn't matter at this point. I mean, he's had such a long career that's sort of like, okay, well, can you give me a million? Fine. A million's good, whatever. Um, but I do think that, you know, eventually the Bruins are going to have to rebuild. It's, it's not going to be right away, but it's going to be in the next couple of seasons. And if you have Tory Krug locked in at, you know, let's say a seven-year contract at at least seven, probably $8 million. That's a big chunk dedicated to a guy who's going to be, you know, a very veteran player, even midway through that contract. It's, it's just not going to line up for you. I think, you know, the defenseman that you build around is Charlie McAvoy. I think that's, it's, it's pretty obvious already. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, they, they play sort of a similar style, even though McAvoy is a, a, a bigger guy and, and probably has a little more upside. So it, it just feels like it's, it's not Tory Krug's fault. It's not the Bruins' fault. But, you know, if Tory Krug goes somewhere else, it just feels like the, the timing would line up better for both his goals and for the Bruins' long-term goals. And I, yeah. think, I think, too, guys, that, that if the Bruins were to sign Tory Krug, for the money and term that he wants, it would almost go against the entire philosophy that the, like the culture that they've built in, in Boston. Right? I was about to say exactly that. Yeah. 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 Like, cause, cause I mean, you know, I mean, anytime Brad Marchand opens his mouth about money, it's like, okay, if you want to stay here and you want to play with this group and you want to be part of this organization, you're going to have to take less money and that's it. And Charlie McAvoy did it. Brad Marchand did it. They, the, all these guys have done it. And then, so then for, for them to turn around and give, you know, to say to Tory Krug, okay, just back up the Brinks truck and we'll fill it up. Doesn't really jive with the sort of culture that they've established there. And that might be important too. And, and I think Ryan, you're absolutely right. Like, I mean, logic tells us that Tory Krug isn't going to get better you know, and he's going to decline. And so now it's like, Hey, Tori, great career. Thanks a lot. We're moving on. And maybe that could be the best thing for the Boston Bruins. Who knows? Yeah. Very good points. And, and, you know, it, it's kind of rare for someone in this Bruins core to get to market. 
So like they never really had to stare down that question of well, what am I really worth? But now that Krug's gotten here, he knows what he's worth is not what the Bruins would be willing to pay him because of that culture. So the more like, it's almost like we're working through it and like we're talking through it right now. And the more we talk about it, I'm like even more convinced he's <laughs> that he's gone, you know? It's like our little ther group therapy session for Tory, Tory Krug's Boston career. Uh, we'll do one more quick one. This is from Kui-Chi. Kui-Chi is a, a friend of the show. Kui-Chi busts out questions once in a while. Kui-Chi says... Will there be the AHL next season? Just that's the question right there. And I, I know that the last I heard it was December 4th was the start date. And it could, and if the NHL delays its start, it could be kind of cool because it could be sort of a pseudo training camp for certain guys. If they're, you know, they could be playing in the AHL and getting into camps early. Uh, but again, gate revenue is what this, this league depends on. Not like the NHL. I mean, NHL does too, but AHL way more so. I'm still pretty worried we're seeing cases go up of covid second wave's coming there's not going to be fans in in the arenas i don't believe so i i'm still skeptical that we're going to see the ahl this coming season uh i know ken you've had some thoughts on this before so i'll start with you on this one i i'm also skeptical i i i'm i'm in the matt larkin camp on this one i i it it you know i mean i, th I think with this virus we you know we don't there's so much that we don't know about how how impactful the second wave is but the history if history is any indication the second wave can be worse than the first um so if that's the case without a vaccine without a to me there's two things you need a vaccine and you need a test that is instant you know one that you can take you can test someone as they come into the building and within five minutes find out whether or not they're positive or negative and react to that. And I don't see that on the, on the horizon. Uh, I, I am worried about it. And I, I well, worried. I'm, I'm concerned about it. Uh, I think no AHL will really have a wicked trickle-down effect for a lot of teams as far as where do they put their prospects, where do they put their contracts. Um, yeah, I, I want to believe it's going to happen, and I hope it's going to happen. But I'm, I'm with you, Matt. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very concerned about whether or not they'll be able to pull this off. Yeah, I would say I, I certainly share that concern. And, and what I would say is the AHL will have a season if the NHL and its rights holders really want there to be a season. And what I mean by that is let's say that, you know, they, they start December 4th, no fans, obviously financially, the only way that works is if they're getting revenue some way else. And, and that would be TV and corporate sponsors. So if that's basically the only hockey going on, and you know, there is the Quebec league that's already having training camps and playing preseason games. Um, you know, you do have the Quebec league and you, you might have the OHL and WHL coming back around December as well. But what does TSN show in December? You know, what does, what does the NBC network, uh, the sports network show in December? If they want hockey, well, you could have the AHL, but you're going to have to subsidize those teams. You're going to have to find corporate sponsors, um, you know, probably at the NHL level and say, hey, do you want rink boards? Do you want people thinking about, you know, your coffee, your IPA, uh, your whatever? Well, we've got a venue and people are just sitting at home and they want to watch hockey. We've got the AHL. We've got plenty of names, you know, like young stars that can play there because you can only send so many kids to Europe before the European teams say we're full. 
So I, I think it's, it's an option, but you really have to look at it as the AHL being, you know, a, like a development league, which it already is, but you have to look at it as an extension of the NHL and treat it as such. Like this is an asset you have that you need to preserve. You're going to have to figure out a way to keep these teams afloat because not every AHL franchise is owned by an NHL team. Some are independent and just have affiliations with NHL franchises. Very good points. Uh, well, that answers Queechee's question. And I think that's it for the podcast this week, everyone. Thank you guys. And thank you for listening and watching. We'll be back probably during the Stanley Cup final. We'll see who is joining the Dallas Stars. Thanks. Thanks.